0: Welcome to the Brave Feminine Leadership podcast, where we share stories from amazing leaders just like you and me. We break down myths of leadership, imposter syndrome, and we ask what Brave Feminine Leadership means and does it need to change? All of these interviews were originally recorded in video format. Follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Brave Feminine Leadership for news on when new video series will be dropping. It's wonderful to meet you. Drop me a note if the content resonates, melissa at bravefeminineleadership.com. Let's get brave. Welcome to the interview series on Brave Feminine Leadership. I'm absolutely thrilled to invite Cindy O'Meara to the conversation today. And I'm just going to kick off with a little bit of background. So, Cindy, firstly, welcome. Thank you. I, I really appreciate it. I'm looking forward to this. So Cindy's a nutritionist, a filmmaker, a best-selling author, uh, international and TEDx speaker, and the founder of Changing Habits. So Cindy is passionate, determined, and a knowledgeable speaker on health issues, and uses her education and experience to help others improve their quality of life. Cindy's a highly successful and award-winning businesswoman who was included in the 2016 100 Women of Influence Awards by the Financial Review and Westpac so congratulations, and it's fantastic to have you here with us for the conversation today, Cindy. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. Pleasure. So, Cindy, for people in the audience who haven't had the pleasure of coming across you before, would you mind just telling us a little bit more about yourself, about your background, and, and about your passion and what drives you?
1: Yeah, well, I, I guess it, what led me to nutrition was I loved skiing, loved snow skiing. I was brought up in a, a world of adventure and skiing. My dad um, loved hiking and skiing and um, I couldn't go to university and skiing in Australia. So I picked a university in America that I could go to that I could ski 20 minutes away. So that's where it all started, really. Perfect. <laughs> and then I did um, a pre-med degree so i wasn't sure what i wanted to do my dad was a chiropractor my mom was a nurse i knew i wanted something to do with health so i just did pre-med and i was able to do some electives and one of the electives that i chose was anthropology so i did a year of cultural anthropology and anthropology and at the end of that year i went I know exactly what I want to be. I want to be a dietitian. So I came back to Australia, went to Deakin University, finished my Bachelor of Science majoring in nutrition. I was now no longer wanting to ski. I wanted to really study at this point. So um, came back and um, finished my Bachelor of Science, about to go into dietetics and went, I don't agree with anything I've been taught. Not one thing, Yeah. nothing. So it was the beginning of the dietary guidelines. So I graduated in 1984. Um, and it was the beginning of the dietary guidelines, so I was taught low fat, margarine, all of these things that, in my world that I had learned at my first year of university in in Colorado, was completely opposing. So I thought well, I can't be a dietitian, and at 23, you can't go against the grain. So I thought, well, I'll become a chiropractor. So I went back to university, did two years of anatomy, pathology, histology, embryology, every ology you can think of, cut up cadavers, saw big people, little people, people with cancer, You know, dug in deep to their bodies and went... I know exactly what the human body needs. It needs what I learned in anthropology. So I opened some doors in a chiropractic office, my sisters, and started to practice as a nutritionist. And I did that for five years until I had got married, had babies, and then I started writing for a local paper. And I realized that I was very polarizing. I polarized the medical fraternity. They said I was a charlatan. I didn't know what I was talking about. The science wasn't there. To the common people who would say, she's making a lot of common sense, you know, maybe we should, you know, listen to this so that's basically where it all happened and then i wrote for a local paper like i said for two years and we were sued by the margarine association of australia they didn't like what i said about margarine and then my last article i wrote was artificial sweeteners and i damned them this was back in 1991 i think it was so i damned them and my editor rang me and he said cindy i can't publish it we'll be sued by the largest Um, soft drink company in the world and I just said well you know what if you're not prepared to write the truth I'm not prepared to write for you any longer so I quit and realized after 100 articles that I had a book so I created the book Changing Habits Changing Lives from 100 articles that I'd written and that came out in 98 went to bestseller Um, and it's history from there it was like everything has revolved around that book. Everything I have done has revolved around that information in that book. That book has now become lab to table because, to me, people need to understand what's happening in the food industry to understand what they're doing to their health. So, yeah, and and now I run the Nutrition Academy, Changing Habits. Um, I have a farm, the Changing Habits Farm, and it's all about the cleanliness of food and the nutrient value of food and how we can become well by using food as our medicine.
0: So there's obviously an absolute passion that drives all of that, particularly when you've had to navigate along the way, um, you know, potentially taking a view that wasn't accepted mainstream, sued by margarine companies, potentially being taken on by soft drink companies. Um, And I imagine you've got to really, well, I guess fall back on that passion from time to time. But you know, have there been times where you've, um, you know, thought to yourself, "What am I doing? This is all, this is all pretty difficult." Yeah.
1: yeah, there is. Like I've often been at speaking engagements, and I speak about things, and I and people walk out, um, people throw things on the floor, and go, "This is rubbish," and walk out. And so, you know, when things like that happen to you kind of go why am i doing this why am i even talking about this to other people i'm just gonna help my family i'm not gonna care about anything else but i find in life that synchronicities happen and I, I when that did this one particular day happened where a lot of people walked out there was about 140 people in the room and they were called the happy slimmers and this was probably the 1990s and i ran into a friend who, um, who worked for Lisa Curry. (laughs) And um, and I was a good friend of Lisa's as well. And I told her what happened. And I was really upset, you know, and um, she said to me, she went and told Lisa and Lisa rang me and, um, and she said, you know what, I'm going to this five day seminar and it's all about speaking up. And it's all about this and that. She said, do you want to come with me? And so she rang the organizer, told him my story. It was a $5,000 seminar. He gave me two tickets. For free, wow. ten thousand dollars worth. So I said to my husband, "Let's go." You know this, and so it's like the world keeps saying, "You cannot stop this, Cindy. You have to keep going." And and I and I do find this every now and then, but I I realize I have such a love for it. Like yesterday, I it's which was a Sunday. I was writing an article. It took me five hours to write because I was really upset about some advertising that I saw on a podcast. So wow. I thought, well, "I'm going to write about this this food product." So it's my love. And then I just share my love. That's all it is.
0: What were you saying? Just out of interest. What were you saying? Because the, the happy slimmers aren't sounding too happy to me. Um, but what were, what were you saying? <laughs> oh, boy, that, Melissa. <laughs> what were you saying that they were rejecting? Well, I
1: talked about. Um, the low fat movement and how fat was good for you so this is the 90s remember nobody was talking this stuff I talked about how bad margarine was but this was the straw that broke the camel's back so I talked about McDonald's hamburgers and if you get a McDonald's hamburger and you put it somewhere and sit it there for years nothing happens to it and there's a reason why that doesn't happen it's because there's no goodness in it and it dries out and no bacteria nothing lives on it because How can they live on it? There's nothing there to live on, and so people were yelling out to me, "Oh, what about the lettuce? And oh, what about the barn? And oh my gosh, it was just unbelievable. They wouldn't believe me. So just didn't want to hear that message. They didn't want to hear that. They did not like it. And I've learned this: is I'm not here to wake the sheep. I'm here to wake the lionesses. I'm here to wake the people that are open to suggestion. So we know that there are different groups in the world. There are the ones that are like me. They're advocates. They they know what they're doing. It's about nutrition and they're going to go full on and that's their values and, and so on. And then there's this other group. And this is the group that are open to suggestion. They know what they're doing is not working. So they're seeking answers and what do they do? Mm. And then there's the next group and the next group are the rednecks and you could call them anything, but they're the people that go, I'm going to smoke and drink and eat this crap food. I don't care what you're saying. I don't care. I'll take the pills, but I am not changing my lifestyle. And so I don't want to even I don't have any desires to speak to them anymore. What I'd like to do is speak to those people that are open to suggestion. And the reason I know this is that I've been watching advertising a couple of years ago. I was watching the insurance advertising, life insurance and health insurance. Mm-hmm. And it's all about getting to those people because once they've got them, they're open to suggestion. They can suggest lifestyle changes, which means they'll live longer, be healthier and won't use their insurance.
0: Yeah. It's not.
1: Yeah. You just got to watch this advertising. So I'm here for the lionesses that are ready to be woken.
0: Absolutely amazing. So, um, Cindy, I just want to pause for a sec because there'll be a lot of people. We're obviously having a conversation today around females in leadership and brave feminine leadership. And there'll be a lot of people watching our conversation and hearing some of the things that you've had to push against. And a lot of those things are probably becoming a lot more widely accepted now, but you were pushing when they really weren't. And they'll look and think, I could never be like Cindy. I could never take the risks she did. I could never do that. How do you respond to people who might feel that way? Well, I,
1: I what it is, it's a step-by-step process. And if you have a love and a passion for something, and I think the proof's in the pudding. And, and I would like to tell you a story. So I was 24 years of age. I'd finished my Bachelor of Science majoring in Nutrition done my chiropractic, um, two years of chiropractic and was consulting. I had this man in his 70s come in to see me. I'm 20, you know, I'm in my young 20s and he, he's listening to me. He's got his arms folded like this and he's looking down at me like this and I tell him what I think he needs to do. Um, and he walks out, doesn't really say anything and I, in my mind I'm going, oh, you know, he's not even going to listen to me. He's nothing. So he rings me a week later and he goes, Miss Lovett, I need to see you. And I said, sure. His name was Mr. Rutherford. I'll never forget him. And he came in and he said, I need to tell you a story. He says, I'm a farmer. I'm a pear farmer. I'm the best in the district. He was from Shepparton. He said, I realised that... um, my pears weren't doing so well five years ago. And I decided to go back to my old way of farming. So what I did was I trimmed all the trees, I threw out all the chemicals, I mulched, I did everything like the way I used to do it. He says, I have the best pears in the district because I did what it needed. To, I needed to do to make my pears good. He of oh, what a fool I've been in not changing myself. So he was changing his business and his farm, but he hadn't changed himself. He says, I will do everything you tell me to do. And all his maladies, he was in his 70s, all his maladies started to disappear because he went off junk food. Well, breakfast cereals, cheese sandwiches, you know, pastas, things like that. He went off those foods and he started to eat real foods. And his voice always resounds there. Even though he was arms crossed, I'm not changing, to the realization and i think that i know how many people that are affected by words and are affected by knowledge and affected by education and and i know i'm not going to change everybody and in actual fact the only person i can change is myself Mm -hmm. everybody else it's just They've they've got to figure it out themselves, but I can give them the information. So what I feel is that I'm giving opportunities, and yes, I speak out and I get slandered and and it hurts. Um, You know, I I I cry. (laughs) I cried after everybody walked out on me, but I waited till I was in the car. Um, You know, getting to the car. Yeah, yeah. Wait till you get to the car, then you can cry. Um, To me, it's a step by step process and to see what works and what not works. And it's about, first of all, you changing yourself. And then by example, you may be able to influence your family and friends. And then with their love and support, a community and a country and a world. And I think as leaders in women in leadership, um, we need to start being influencers because if we're not gonna influence our young girls and we're not gonna influence even the middle aged women, we're in big trouble because I believe women are the changes I was doing a podcast the other day and I had a farmer a male farmer um, asking me what I felt the female role in um, agriculture was and I said to get back into the kitchen to feed and nourish their families to heal this nation and that might sound well I'm not doing that Cindy I'm not going to get into my kitchen I don't have time for that But I'm sorry, that's the only place it's going to happen. And when you are nourishing your family with good foods, then why is your husband farmer growing foods with chemicals on it? He's going to go, well, maybe we need to think about how we're we're doing our farming practices. Maybe we need to go away from big ag chemical agriculture and go to regenerative farming. So I felt the role of the woman in agriculture was to influence her husband in that way. And the role of women in business is to influence the people that surround them, the people that are supporting them, the people that um, are backing them, the people that are working for them, because if you're not supporting them in leadership and in health, because if they're not healthy, they're not going to be there. Mm. they're going to have the day off they're going to have sickness days all the time their brain is not going to be clicked on they're not going to be thinking right um and we know this we do you know have a that-
0: perspective on um i mean i can i can share aspects of my own story but do you have a perspective on the sort of general health of um and it can only be very generalized i guess but you know general health across kind of corporate australia well, I do know, not just again again in corporate, Australia,
1: I should say, I know across it across the board. Yep. So I know that in our children 38 to 40 percent of our kids have now got a chronic illness. In 1964, across the board, from zero to death, four percent chronic illness. Yeah. Now we are 40, 50, 60 years later, yeah 60 just on 60 years later and we now have kids at 38 to 40 percent in chronic illness not just one but several chronic illnesses and that's the age of 17 and under we also have um above the age of 65 80 percent of the population have one or more chronic illnesses and then everything in between. Mm. so if corporate um, Australia is anything to go on on general Australia which I'd say it would and probably worse because they have a higher stress levels yep. they're not just at home they're out and you know in the workplace they've got stress about finances shareholders you know um, employees complaints whatever it is that they will have higher stress and they will have higher chronic illness mm-hmm. so the whole of Australia is a mess the health is a mess
0: my, um, my journey, um, and it won't be different than a lot of other people's, I suspect, but um, my journey towards finding you, I think, was uh, an interesting one in the sense that, so CEO of a large privately owned company, um, really loved the role, um, you know, relished the role, uh, relished the challenge. Um, I, I would have said everything about it. Um, I travelled a lot, um, so I was always on aeroplanes. Um, I was always an exerciser, so I ran, Um, you know, that was my sort of choice of exercise. Um, But in saying that, I probably ticked almost every other box that you probably shouldn't do, like, sure, I carried stress, Um, you know, probably, well, probably drank too much alcohol, ate out a lot, you know, didn't necessarily watch what I was eating. And I shouldn't draw the connect link or the direct link between this but I think there's enough evidence now to say that there probably is. I was then diagnosed with breast cancer and stepped away from all of that and didn't learn lessons immediately. <clears throat> but at this at the start of last year, so 2020, started exploring my health a bit more seriously and spent some time with a naturopath who really cleaned me up and got me, um, you know, feeling better than I'd felt in a long time. And then a good friend uh, who I know we know mutually, Edwina murphy um was taking part in your changing habits program at the time. And I looked at her and just said, you look absolutely incredible. And it wasn't about weight loss. That was part of it, but she just looked good. And, you know, I wanted to know what this is. And that was the first time I came across you and came across this program. Um, And I have to say, Cindy, it's it's incredible. I mean, I ended up releasing 20 kilos as a result of that. So now I've got friends lining up around the block wanting to know what it is and what I was doing. But in essence, um, I would say to anyone, um, I'd already started going to farmers markets. I'd already started being a lot more conscious about you know, myself and my family and what we were doing. But um, you, know, you must hear so many stories like that Um, of people who've kind of taken part in your program I'm really interested in how you developed it in the first place Mm.
1: well first of all you can't outrun a bad diet so Mm. the exercise and a bad diet doesn't work so number one number two uh, we have some incredible stories of people um, we have one lady that lost 80 kilos that was five six years ago kept has kept it off her value was her family to play with her her family her kids she couldn't at where she was we've had had couples lose 60 kilos we've had other people lose 60 kilos so they lose the weight but then what they get is the education and it okay. is an education for you and your body what is works for you what doesn't work for you does a high is it carbohydrates that are okay for you or are you better on a fat and protein diet so how it started for me was uh, was probably about 10 years ago so i've always eaten well i'm you know i'm a, an a, not obsessive, but I know food. I've known food my whole life. It's been my passion for 40 years. But back then it was probably 30 years. So I made my own breads. Um, I made everything from scratch. Um, I bought the best quality foods that I could possibly buy. And I was starting to put on weight. And everyone said, oh, it's just menopause, Cindy, you know, you're heading into the 50s. So I was putting on weight. I, I, reckon I didn't want to weigh myself. I was at that point. I'm like going, I'm into a size 14 now. No, and I was a size 10. So I, I knew I was putting on weight, but I didn't want to get on the scales to see how much far I was from my weight goal, my, my usual weight. I had aches and pains. I had a sore back for 18 months. I had right hip pain. My um, girlfriend, who's a decade older than me, had just had a hip replacement. And I'm thinking, you know, got like we're under chiropractic care, we're healthy. Why did she have a hip replacement? And it feels like I'm going to have to have one soon. I used to have this tightness in my throat. All these things were going wrong and I was eating well. And I went to a talk um, by this lady and I listened to it. And it was totally against what I really believed in. It was really restricting what you ate. It was getting rid of all the food groups, basically, except for a couple. Um, And there was no fat. Now, I'm not the low fat girl. I'm the exact opposite. Yeah. So I wasn't going to do it, but I had two girlfriends that I took with me and they started to do it. And a week after they started it, they said, see, you got to give it a go. I know it's not in your principles, but give it a go. And I went, okay, I'll do it with you. So I did it. So the first week I released four and a half kilos. Now you can't lose that in fat. That is water weight. I also lost my sore back, my sore hip, the tightness in my throat. At day 10, I was so sharp in my brain. I just felt like I was one with everything, Cl- everything clicked on, everything seemed sharper, looked sharper. Um, and by the end of the three weeks, I'd lost nine kilos in weight um, forever. I never never put it back on again. I, I just, everything changed for me, my brain, my body. I cannot imagine if I did not do this protocol where I would be right now, Ten a decade later. Yeah. So I got so excited about it, but I didn't do it the way it was. It's an old diet from the seventies. It's called pound and inches by um, Simeon, Dr. Simeon. And he had Melba toasts and crassinis and I've seen the ingredients in those two. And I decided instead of that, I'd just replace it with a piece of fruit. So I created my own um, idea and I, I, I told everybody in my database, I said, guys, this is what I did. It was revolutionary. Give it a go. See how it makes you feel. Mm -hmm. And then we started to get all these incredible stories. And so, of course, it became just a key thing that I do. I do it every year, by the way. I used to think once you do it once, you don't need to do it again. But for me, it's a check-in for my body. It's a check-in to what's happening. So the last time I did it was a couple of months ago in December, Um, I just needed a reset. I was um, just having some gut issues. I thought, what is happening? You know, am I going to have to do gaps? Am I going to have to do something? And so I just redid it again, reset everything, feeling unbelievable, incredible energy. So it started with me, me doing a program. And since I did that program, I now look at, as I always do, the anthropological principles of it. So I realized that every year, our bodies would have gone through what we do in this protocol. So that's the winter of the hunter gatherer. So in the summer, you would eat fruits and fat animals, and it was abundance and you'd put weight on. Then when the winter came, there was not as much abundance of food. So you would take that weight off. And the putting on and the taking off of weight was survival, number one, because if the next summer came and there wasn't that abundance, you would have to survive on your fat stores. So your fat stores is what you survive on during this incredible protocol that I do. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then what is also in those fat stores are unused hormones. Um, other hormones, hormone activators such as leptin is one of our biggest ones, which helps insulin, Um, And then we also have um, toxins that are released. So back in the old days, we would have had volcanoes erupting or toxic water, and we would have packed that away in our fat cells. And so we would have had this beautiful cyclical thing of gaining the weight, protecting ourselves, surviving mechanism, losing the weight, getting rid of the toxins, and then again, go to the summer. We don't do that anymore. We are 365 days, seven days a week, 24 hours a day, got a grocery store open to us from anywhere in the world you want to go. You can have apples in summer, you can have mangoes in winter. And so, what this protocol has absolutely taught me is the importance of seasonal eating, the importance of eating locally, the importance of sourcing foods as locals, you possibly can at your farmer's markets, the importance of how your food is grown and the importance of having time out for your digestive system to recoup and recover for not only gut health, immune system health, but your joint health, your brain health, everything. It's like, it's like a miracle.
0: That's what I was going to ask you about um, when you talked about your um, you know, mindset in there, really. So many of the conversations I'm having around women's in, women in leadership and the fact that we're not continuing to see increases of the numbers of females in leadership, people pick up on two streams. They pick up on one that is a structural um, theme and things potentially we can change to help continue to break down those barriers. The other one's a mindset space and it talks about women... Um, self-rejecting before they put themselves forward for a situation, kind of talking themselves out of going for something beforehand, Um, a bit of a pattern of over-responsibility. So holding themselves back because it's the best thing for everybody, um, you know, not necessarily them. And I just wondered, um, it's probably fairly straightforward, but do you see a connection between you know, stress and people's mindset about being prepared to sort of take risks and things like that. Do you see a link between that and um, the sort of nutrition people are, are having?
1: Yes, most definitely. In actual fact, there's some really good research happening at Monash University with a lady by the name of Felice Jacka. She's actually written a book on it. And she shows how the change in diet changes tra- trajectories for, the, for males and females in anxiety, depression, Um, as well as um, many other mental disorders from OCD to even autism we're finding so we know that there is a direct link between the gut and the brain and it's called the gut-brain axis Um, we have a vagus nerve that is connected to the brain to the gut and vagus means wandering and it wanders all over your gut most of your neurotransmitters that transmit things to the brain are made in the gut 90 percent of them are made in the gut as a result of the foods that you're consuming and your microbiome so there is a direct link between the foods you are consuming what you think of yourself as a human being on this planet in your family how strong you feel how weak you feel so most definitely the science is there it's been there for a long time the fact that we have a researcher in australia that is showing this and is is and she's not even doing like foods like I would do. You know, she's just changing from ultra-processed foods, which are breakfast cereals, modified milks, margarine, anything that's got an additive preservative flavoring, just to, you know, a better a better way of eating. And it might be a little bit more fat, less carbohydrates, but she's not even doing the quality that I talk about. Because when you do quality and then you change the macros as well then the world's your limit. You know, the sky's your limit. You know what, it's, it's, you cannot go wrong with that change. And people do see that difference. But it's a matter of breaking that cycle that you're in. So many people are in the cycle of, I'll take an antidepressant, um, I can't handle this, I'll take something that'll help me with my stress. But all they're doing is the body is screaming. Well, it might be whispering at you at the moment. It mm-hmm. might be saying, hey, you need to do something about whatever's happening in your body. And if you don't, then it's going to get worse. But we're in a society where we have been taught by advertising and marketing to dull that down by using a medication. So it might be a headache, take a medication. It might be a cold, stop the mucus coming out. It might be depression, take an antidepressant. It might be anxiety, take an anti-anxiety. Whatever it is, we've been told to dull that down. And so we dull it down, but the body still isn't fixed. And so it starts to hurt more. And and it starts to scream at you to the point where the drugs are no longer working, so you have to go on stronger drugs. So why not, like any, anything in, in leadership, anything in business, if you don't listen to your customers, if you don't listen to your employees or your team or your management, and you keep dulling them out by putting the music up higher and higher and higher, nothing's going to change. And actually, you'll crumble and the business will go. So it's about listening. As the corporate women, it's about you're having to listen to your team, to your customer, to your management, to whatever else is going on out there. You have to listen to your body because if you don't, it will crumble, it will fall, you will get a disease, a chronic disease. We know this. It's not, it's not bucket science in any way. What you put <laughs> into your body is what you'll get out of your body. What you put into your body is what you'll get out of your brain. So yes, the answer how is not yes, the science.
0: And how do you um, you know, there's been, a lot of people would be thinking that they're doing, you know, they're doing the best they can. They're they're busy. Um, you know they're juggling a whole range of different things and uh, supermarkets are pretty convenient so you know how would you suggest to people you kind of get started like if you had to say to someone there's one or two steps that you could take that you could manage what would you suggest they might be?
1: That's why I wrote the book Changing Habits Changing Lives back in 1998 which is now lab to table it was to take one step at a time so each chapter talks about Food that you might be eating so breakfast is first what are you eating for breakfast are you eating wheat picks or you know a refined breakfast cereal of some sort throwing a modified milk on it maybe some honey or sugar um, or toast margarine and Vegemite or whatever it is that you're consuming
0: mm-hmm. what
1: would be a better alternative how could I make my breakfast better so that number one my brain works better and number two my body works better Um, And we know that when you put a carbohydrate into the brain, we know that the neurotransmitters that are produced are ones that want to put you to sleep. And we also know that when you put a protein in your brain, that they create neurotransmitters that want to wake you up, wake the brain up. So as a corporate person, if you're having breakfast cereals and going to work, I know by 10.30, you are going to be absolutely needing a cup of coffee or something to fuel your body, because sugar only lasts a small amount of time, Protein and fat lasts longer. You want to click that brain in. So we start with breakfast. That's it. You just start there. How can I make a better breakfast for myself? And if you don't have time, then your priorities are wrong. You need to make time. Get up 10 minutes earlier and make that protein smoothie or cook yourself up some eggs or make a frittata that you can take to work or prepare something the night before. Have last night's leftovers. Have a bit of chicken or, you know, do something like that. So it, it is about prioritising what's important because it's like a spiral. The worse you feel, the less you want to do things. Mm. So you've got to pull yourself out of that spiral. And so we start mm. with breakfast. So that, that might be number one. Number two might be the quality of the salt you're consuming, the quality of is it butter or margarine that you're consuming. So week by week we build on one habit
0: change and then we
1: create ask, another
0: one. Another I have one. to ask Cindy if uh, coffee is Okay. I love coffee
1: <laughs> but I'm I'm a, a one coffee a day drinker and I never started drinking it until I did the protocol because when I was doing the protocol I drank tea I always drank herbal teas I was a peppermint tea drinker and I realized that it just wasn't cutting it you know like you know what the protocol's like you don't get a lot of food Um, And a cup of tea just is nothing. Whereas the coffee, somebody suggested to me, why don't you have a cup of coffee, Cindy? Wow, the coffee was just brilliant. So that was 10 years ago, I started to drink coffee. So I'm an organic, long black drinker, one a day. And it's usually very early in the morning because that's when I got time to sit and relax and, and have my cup. It's not on the run. It's not in front of the computer it's socializing with friends and that's at 5 a.m. in the morning. Then by 5.30, we walk to the beach and we do a 40-minute breathing session. So we're very much into Wim Hof. We lay on the beach. We do a Wim Hof breathing session. We then uh, finish that. 6.30, we are swimming the beach. So we swim 1.2K or we'll just go for a dip depending on how much time we've got. So by seven o'clock, we're done. We're ready to go home. And I know this isn't for mums who have babies. Yep. I don't have my babies, although I'm having two babies, two grandbabies coming. But I am not at that stage. But when I was at that stage, I was up at four thirty. I wrote my book between four thirty and six thirty. Um, so every second morning I was up writing my book, and every other morning I was meeting girlfriends who also had children. We'd go walking. We'd walk. Um, we'd walk and talk. And you always knew
0: when someone was in a bad mood, we'd have to walk really fast. <laughs> I feel like I need to repeat the question now about people will be watching this interview thinking I could never be Cindy. You may have got them at the 4.30 Um, (laughs) wake-ups. Well, by the way, there
1: are two sorts of people, and I have to tell you this. Genetically, they're the morning people. I think it's like 40% of the people are morning people, but there's afternoon people as well. So you just change to the afternoon. Hmm. So they're the people that like to stay up till midnight, and there's genetics that tell us about this. And it was all about our tribal life.
0: Mm-hmm. So it was
1: about that tribal time when we needed people awake at all hours of the night. So the teenagers were awake between midnight and 6 a.m. in the morning. The <laughs> people who love to uh, you know sleep in and needed to be awake at night stayed up till midnight, one o'clock. And yep. then the early risers were up at 4:30. So that's you me. Can, you don't have to do my thing. You yep. can do that after work if that's who you are.
0: Can I bring you back to um, comfort zones and moving out of comfort zones? And Brene Brown was one of my inspirations for doing this this series. And she talks a lot about the world needing braver leaders and about vulnerability being sort of feeling brave and afraid at the same time. I just want to think about, you know, is there a particular point you could call out um, where you really pushed outside of your own comfort zone? Or do you do it every day? I think I do
1: it every day you know like in the articles I write and in the information that I put out um in the challenge that I set myself you know like getting up at 4 30 and and doing the whole thing you know that's that to me is getting out of your comfort zone I could lay in bed mm-hmm. and just stay there if that's what you want to do but I realize that my health is the most important thing to me I'm 60 now you know and um I'm I've got more behind me than i have in front of me and i want to make sure that i'm as energetic for the next 40 years or 30 years wherever long i live as i have been this last 60 years i've got two grandbabies coming i want to keep up with them when they're 20 you know so to me to me it's all about you know me being the best possible version i can be for my family number one so you have to be brave in order to make changes you know you have to make it in business like I look at where I am with changing habits. 10 years ago, I was a book, a cookbook and a speaker. And now we're the Nutrition Academy where we have graduates and students and summits and um, webinars and everything to educate other people to do what I've been doing for the last 40 years. Mm. And then we have changing habits. We have programs and protocols and foods. And then we have the farm. And, you know, so in, in, in order for me to do that from a book and a cookbook and a speaker, which was very comfortable, very comfortable. I had to become brave, but I have to tell these women that I also had an incredible husband. Yeah. So I had a husband that um said we can do this together. Because I did that all by myself. And then he said, Let's do this together. I don't want to do my business anymore. I don't want to be a chiropractor anymore. Let's do this together. And I remember when we moved into our first warehouse, I looked at him and I went, It's big. i never gonna fill it. Well, we doubled that and then we moved into one quadruple and and so on and so on, and and I just remember that day I walked into the warehouse and he says, "We're going to rent this." Now we were a home office. Yes, and, you know, and I and I looked around and I went, and now we're looking at building a big warehouse, a bigger warehouse. So it's like, I think you have to have that braveness, but I also think you need support, Absolutely. whether that be an, another leader in your company, whether that be your husband, whether it be your partner, whatever it is, a, a daughter even, a, a son that you know, rallies you on and helps you. And I remember when I was writing my book, Changing Habits, Changing Lives, I was with my two girlfriends walking and I would talk to them about every day, I would talk to them about the chapter I was working on. And they were the ones that came up with the name, Changing Habits, Changing Lives. So it's. I think it's about having an incredible support team behind you, mm. not only when you're doing things in health, having your family behind you, and sometimes families don't want to change. You know, and so you got to do it they yourself. And then, and then they go, well, I like what you're doing and I, you're looking really good. And, you know, and then they eventually they go, OK, I'll change. But then there are the rednecks. I have to tell you girls out there, there are the rednecks that will never change.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Cindy, the final question I'm asking everybody is from your perspective, and you've skated into the area, but from your perspective, what does brave feminine leadership look like today and does it need to change?
1: Uh, When you say feminine and you say brave, I I think we have a role and it's been our role for forever and it's nurture. We are the gatherers, we are the nurturers, we look after the children. Our men are the hunters and the gatherers. And I know there's some women out there that are going to say, I don't agree with you, Cindy, but I'm sorry, we need to be nurturers because our planet is in crisis and it is being led by men mainly, not women. And the more women that I see in leadership, the, the problem is, is that the more women we see in leadership, the less we see that are nurturing. But we can be leaders that nurture. And, um, and, and there are some women out there that don't have, have families and don't have babies. And if they're there, then I want to see them at the top because they're the ones that have chosen their life as a career, not. but they've still got to nurture their team. They've still got to nurture their company. They've got to nurture what's happening on the planet. But I I believe it's about taking care of number one first, nurturing yourself first. And then that to me is the bravest of all, is having a self-love, having a respect for yourself, not putting, like when you respect yourself, You don't put any rubbish inside your face, in your mouth, in your your head, you know, you look after yourself. So respect is nurturing yourself first. And then once you've
0: nurtured yourself and you are well, then you can nurture and respect others. Cindy, thank you so much. Um, Firstly, congratulations on the upcoming arrival of your grandbabies. That sounds so exciting. Um, And thank you so much for, um, you know, continuing to put your passion out there. Um, you know I think you're a fantastic example of brave feminine leadership Um, you know you've pushed for a long time against what potentially are sort of commonly accepted um, beliefs and I just want to say thank you so so much for joining and being part of our conversation it's been amazing to catch up with you. Thank you Melissa I really appreciate your time too. Hello there. If you're enjoying the podcast and would love to accelerate your own growth and leadership, then head to bravefeminineleadership.com forward slash brave tips for your gift from me where I've captured all of the amazing tips and themes that came out of these conversations. I hope they help you feel your brave rising.